talk to you guys today. Um, I believe the Lord, and he really has already begun it through the worship, and um, that the God of peace is, is going to come and visit us. He is releasing not only the peace of God, but the God of peace is coming into the room. And that name, the God of peace, it is, it is what, what it's saying is that peace is his very nature. And all the source of peace and of life and of, and of, and of righteousness flows from the person of Jesus Christ. And so when he steps into a room, his peace comes with him. We need the God of peace. Now this is kind of a continuation of last week. Last week I talked about uh, why we go through junk. Some of us are maybe still going through junk. <laughs> but I think we're a little more encouraged at least. Um, but, um, but, but, but we go through junk. We, sometimes it's because of, 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 of mistakes or poor choices that we've made. Sometimes it's the mistakes or poor choices of others that have affected us. Oftentimes, and, and I think most of the time is involved, we have an enemy. We have Satan that has come against us to cause us trouble. And he hates us. Um, but even whether, whether it's any of these things, that the, the heart of God is he's saying, I am extending to you today, church, I'm extending to you an invitation. I am giving you an invitation to promotion. And though the enemy may be raging against you right now, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Um, the enemy's desire is to overwhelm us and to burden us with anxiety and with fear. And so when, when, when we're going through strength, um, we, we oftentimes don't even need an answer. We don't, we, there is the why. Why am I going through this? What's going on? But really what we need a lot of the time in the midst of the junk is just for someone to come and hug us and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And the God of peace is coming in today and he's saying, it's going to be okay. You know, it's interesting how the worship was set up today because um, I didn't tell Chad or the team what I would planned on talking about and the Lord just kept putting the God of peace on my heart, the God of peace, and fixing our eyes on Jesus and, 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 and the order of the songs that came out. You know, we're back in the, in the room talking about it and I gave them a little um, overview um, at that point, but, but Teresa is praying and she basically prays my entire <laughs> message in like a sentence. So I'm like, okay, you know, I can do this in less than an hour. Um, <laughs> much less than an hour. <laughs> so, um, but, um, but the peace of God came in and that second to the last song is when I felt him really come in. The, the God of peace came in. I just felt peace just come all over me. And then the next song was about fixing our gaze. Fixing our gaze on Jesus. And that's my heart to, tell you, to, to talk to you about today. How do we overcome this barrage of anxiety and fear that the enemy is trying to overwhelm us with? We fix our gaze. Yeah. We set our eyes on Jesus. 
And as we fix our gaze on him, it strengthens and empowers our inner man. And it assures us that everything's going to be okay. Um, we talked last week about the Song of Solomon and the Shulamite. That God is raising up a bride who will be found leaning on her beloved. Fully dependent and trusting on the king. So the Shulamite, she falls in love with the king. Just to give a, a brief overview again, is that she, she falls in love with them. She's enjoying his presence. She's enjoying the encounters that she's having with the king. But she finds herself in a couple of situations in the book where she senses a withdrawal of the king's presence and she starts facing some trouble and anxiety and fear. Um, often people call him the dark night of the soul. And, and in this place, the dark night, she is beginning to, to wrestle out some of her own emotions and insecurities and fears. Um, and, it, and it becomes um, a, an invitation to, to a greater revelation of Jesus and a greater level of authority that the king has for her. Because God's raising up a bride that's going to fully share in his power and authority to govern the universe forever. This is the eternal perspective that, 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 that God wants to give us today. Um, that first dark night she goes through, it is because of a place of compromise. The king summoned her to the mountaintops, but she hesitated. She couldn't go back to the old life. She couldn't go back to the place of, of, of burnout where she was laboring in the vineyards, but she said, I couldn't even tend to my own heart, my own vineyard, because I was laboring in the others. So I can't go back to that, but there's this place of fear. The king is calling me to this higher place. He's calling me to this promotion, but it's requiring that I face some things and overcome some things. And it requires that I leave the comfort zone. And instead of condemning her, the king, instead, as, as he withdraws his presence out of, uh, out of kindness, because he's saying, I don't want her to remain in the comfort zone. I'm going to withdraw so that she will come and seek me and find me where I want her to be. And it, and it pulls her out of that comfort zone. And she doesn't even make it all the way to the mountaintops, but he comes down and meets her anyway. And he begins pouring out revelation of who he is and the cost of his love for her at the cross. And, it's, and he's, as he's affirming her in this process of her growth, she is beginning to see, she, she, she's empowered to step out into that realm of faith, into that place of obedience that the Lord had called her into. You see, God never expects us to generate our own faith and commitment to him. He always first pursues us and gives us a revelation of his commitment to us and his desire for us. And it stirs and it awakens love and hunger inside of us. So she steps out. She says, I will go to the mountains. I will go to the hill of frankincense. And so she steps out into that place of obedience. And the king is delighted. He is affirming her again and again and again throughout chapter 4. And then, you know, as she's stepping out into obedience, she may be asking or expecting, rather, um, expecting this place of, 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 of a blessing, of favor, of joy. And, and she does experience that. But then as she's from the... From, 
really close to the beginning of setting out to that step of faith and obedience, she finds herself again in a place of trouble. Again, wondering where her king is and not being able to, to find him or to sense his presence. Um, and as she goes out searching for him, that, 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 that the people that she expects to help her the most, the watchmen, the spiritual leaders over her life are actually the ones that strike her and wound her. And you know, some of us have been going through things um, not because of an act of disobedience and compromise, but because we dared to step out in faith. There we go. Because we dared to say yes to God when he called us out of the comfort zone. Marketplace, ministry, vocation, relationships, financially, any of these things that we step out. And the temptation that the enemy tries to lure us with is that he wants us to, when we begin to face trouble, he, he causes us to try to reevaluate that decision. Right. Did I make the right choice? Did I step out? God, where are you? And all these things and all this, and he tries to overwhelm us with anxiety of the decision that we've made. And, 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 and that's what the Shulamite's facing. He wants us to get offended at God, offended at people, cause us to question what we've done, and, um, and to get discouraged and to back down. And that's his heart. His heart is for you to focus on, on, the, on the mess that's going on right now. But the heart of God is for us to focus on him. And that is what sustains the Shulamite in her dark night. You know, um, Tracy was giving me a, a really good definition of anxiety. And I kind of want you to give it because I think you can say it better, Tracy. You want me to give it? Oh. Yeah. Actually, this is John's definition of anxiety. John's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I plagiarized. That's what happens when you're married, right? Anyway, uh, uh, he said that, that anxiety is when you um, are in one place, but, but you feel like you should be in another place. So, so the other place is really this place where you've kind of fantasized or vain imaginations or deception, and it's not really the truth. So the truth of your reality and, and the perceived where you should be, the difference between the two is anxiety. Mm -hmm. So you're like, well, I should be doing this, or I, I should be here emotionally, or I should be here financially, or whatever. But the truth is, is that you are where you are and God what are you doing in that place and that's where the, the spirit of peace comes in that's is good. that good yeah okay. perfect or where, or where you think others what well I think it's important that where you want others to think and or where you want others to think you are so it's like where you really are and where you where others you know okay what what he said <laughs> thank you for that no that's good that's good we're doing joint sermon today um the the enemy comes in with anxiety tries to get us to say here's where i should be but here's where i am and um, and and sometimes it, it is it is through uh, just this this vain imagination, and sometimes it's actually through a promise of God. He said, "God, this is where you said I should be, but here's where I am." And when we fix our eyes on that trouble and on that mess, or where we're not, or where we we're, it's that's where the anxiety is invited in. But the heart of God is He's saying, "I want you to focus. We get we cannot lose sight of the journey." 
We cannot lose sight of where we're headed. If the enemy can get us to focus on right, what's right in front of us, we forget where we were going, we forget why we stepped out, and we forget the faithfulness that he's done to us, um, shown towards us in the past. But as we begin to fix our eyes and focus on the beauty of Jesus, what he has done for us and what he will do, peace begins to reign in our hearts. Isaiah 26 puts it this way. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. When my mind is set and fixed on the beauty of God, on his personality, on his deeds, on his actions, on his promises, that peace begins to rule and reign inside of our hearts. And God keeps us. Um, and it's uh, interesting, just the context of this passage, it's, it continues to say, Trust in the Lord forever, for God is an everlasting rock. He's humbled the inhabitants of the height of the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, and casts it to the dust. So the reason that, the, that, that, he, that, that, that Isaiah is prophesying, he's saying you can trust God as an everlasting rock. Why? Because he has defeated your enemies. The God of peace has crushed Satan under your feet. And, and I think two things are happening here in this passage of Isaiah. That, that it's, it's declaring what God has done for Israel in the past. Here is how God has defeated your enemies in the past. But it's also a prophetic declaration of what's coming in the future. And he declares it as something that's already done. Your enemies are defeated. That lofty city, that resistance that's been set against you has been demolished, has been crushed. <clears throat> the Shulamite begins this revelation of Jesus. And I just want to read a little bit from, from Song of Solomon 5. <clears throat> I'm just, she begins to um, talk to her friends because, because she, the, her friends are seeing her in this trouble and she refuses that offense. She refuses that anxiety and says, I'm going to set my mind on the king. I'm going to fix my gaze. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And they're saying, why, why, why would you do that? After all you've gone through, why would you keep coming back to this king, to this man? And she begins saying, Chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 10 of Song of Solomon. My beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is like gold, pure gold. His locks are like clusters of dates and black as raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk and reposed in their setting. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of sweet-scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with burl. His abdomen is carved ivory and laid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of alabaster set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon choice as the cedars. His mouth is full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. O daughters of Jerusalem. Jesus. <clears throat> I wanted to read the whole thing to you. To, um, I'm only going to talk about one of these aspects today because it has to do with the God of peace. Um, 
But um, this, this, she's remembering encounters that she's had with the king. And it's sustaining her. And one of the, the revelations of the king is, is of this God of peace. Chapter five, or chapter 5, verse 12. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk and reposed in their setting. His eyes are like doves. It's speaking of his gentleness. The gentle purity of his gaze upon us. Beside streams of water, and it says reposed in their setting. The New Living Translation says they're set like jewels or they're set like gemstones. And I love that because it, it, it speaks of the sparkling, radiant beauty of his eyes shining towards us. But, but, but this, this idea of being reposed is that they're at rest. There's a peaceful gaze of the eyes of Jesus. And it's those eyes that she can look into that without words, just by his face, he says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. going to be okay. Yeah. Nancy, do you have a son? Yeah, I feel I feel that your your son's going to be restored back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you Jesus for Nancy's son being restored back to her. And everything's going to be okay. You know, something about these eyes of Jesus, as I meditate on these, and, and this, is, this is exactly what the Lord takes me back to often when I'm in my junk, is the eyes of Jesus. And the thing about his peacefulness and the restfulness of his eyes is that they're not filled with anxiety. They are not troubled about our situation. And they are not troubled about where we are in the process. <laughs> see the enemy wants us to start this condemnation I'm not where I should be I'm not where to die I'm not this that I, 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 I should be here but I'm here and, and the Lord's saying he's looking at her and he's saying I am not disturbed at all by what you're wrestling with and what you're going through Because I am more confident in the power of my love to bring you where you need to be. And in, I'm more confident in my commitment to you than in your commitment to me. And he sees her commitment and he sees it as real. And he values that. But he's saying that commitment will be strengthened as you look at my eyes and you see my commitment to you. And that peace that pours out of his eyes, no anxiety about our situation, no anxiety about where we are in the process, that peace begins to flood our hearts. And by the power of that peace, we crush the head of the serpent. 
and we take back what God's promised us. Um, these, her friends, they, they realize a couple of things about her after she starts describing the beauty of the king. <laughs> they call her the most beautiful among women. Is the first time that they call her, they call her this in the book is when she's in her worst state of trouble and brokenness. They see the glory and the light of the king shining out of that broken vessel. And then they say this, where is your beloved? Where is he turned that we may seek him with you? And so our brokenness, our, our place of brokenness is actually an invitation to a deeper revelation of Jesus and a deeper revelation of us. We grow in revelation of Jesus. We grow in, in knowing his beauty and his personality and his nature and his character in that place of brokenness. But others start seeing that radiant beauty start to shine out of us. And then they are drawn to his presence. Makes evangelism a lot easier. <laughs> You're talking about a Jesus that you've known, that you've encountered, that you've seen. And when I talk about my encounters with Jesus, it creates a door of faith for you to enter into that same encounter. And it was these eyes. I, 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 I was in an encounter with the Lord a few months ago, here on a Thursday night, out on the ground. And I began to see Jesus walking towards me. And usually when I see Jesus in some kind of vision, it's, it's, he's, he's just clothed in so much light that I can't make out distinct features. Um, and so he started coming closer and I could, I, I, my body actually started trembling um, as I'm seeing him in this vision come closer and closer towards me. And then that veil of light over, just over his eyes starts to lift. don't even know what to say. Because when, when we look into those eyes, nothing else around us matters anymore. And we know it's going to be okay. Focusing on the beauty of Jesus, it strengthens us in our brokenness and in our trouble. And it positions us for the promotion that he has ahead. <laughs>